0: We are so excited to announce that the second edition of Tamina Watson's book, The Startup Visa, Key to Job Growth and Economic Prosperity in America, is now out for order. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or wherever you get your books. You can do so by searching The Startup Visa Book or by finding Tamina Watson's author page on Amazon or online that is spelt T-A-H-M-I-N-A-W-A-T-S-O-N. Thank you so much for your support and for tuning in to this episode. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is Tamina Watson, your host of Tamina Talks Immigration. This new series is on the startup visa and is a topic very close to my heart. The series is inspired by the upcoming release of the second edition of my book titled The Startup Visa. The book is set to release in July 2021. You will hear from nationally renowned thought leaders on the issue, as well as international leaders on entrepreneurship. Most of the episodes were recorded before the Biden administration restored the International Entrepreneur Program. Please do subscribe to the podcast and to our social media accounts to ensure you hear updates about the book and new episodes. Thank you to each and every one of the guests who have appeared on this series and for their tireless work for over a decade trying to establish a startup visa right here in the United States. Thank you to our sponsors, Park Evaluations, for sponsoring some episodes, and to our first ever series sponsor, Journey Business Plans. Enjoy the show.
1: Hey, podcast listeners. Be sure to tune in to Tamina Talks Immigration, where immigration attorney Tamina Watson discusses the latest on immigration news and issues. She talks to those who have impacted U.S. immigration laws and policies, as well as notable immigrants who have made great contributions. Check out Tamina Talks Immigration to also hear your questions be answered. Subscribe now for the latest on everything and anything immigration.
0: Good morning, everyone. This is Tamina Talks Immigration and your host, Tamina Watson. This is part of the Startup Visa series, and I have an amazing guest today. I have known him for almost a decade, and we have done so much work together on this particular issue. Today's guest is Michael Schutzler. He is the CEO of the Washington Technology Industry Association. The Washington Technology Industry Association is a co-op of 1,000 member companies that use the power of collaboration to accomplish what no single company can achieve alone. They are the unifying voice of the tech industry in Washington State. They provide health care and 401ks to 15,000 employees and family members. They created Apprenti, the only viable nationally registered tech apprenticeship in the USA. The company has grown from just under $2 million budget in 2013 to more than $20 million in 2020. Michael, thank you so much for being here.
1: Great to have you. Thank you.
0: Well, you know, I am so honored that you're taking some time out of your day to speak to us. I know you're very busy, but I think it's also exciting that our listeners get to hear from you about all the work you do and why this particular subject matter has been so important. But before we talk about that, I'd love the listeners to get to know you a little. Where did you grow up and how did you end up as the CEO of the Washington Technology Industry Association?
1: So I am the child of German immigrants, my father originally from Lithuania and my mom from central Germany. They came here in 1960 and immigrated to Chicago, which is where I was born in 62, and have had all the joys and trials and tribulations of being first generation immigrant in the U.S. that comes along with that. I lived in Chicago for quite a while and lived outside of Philadelphia for a while, went to school, I attended Penn State University, and then had a very interesting career throughout the tech industry, starting out really in the Middle East for many years, and then over time spreading out to lots of jobs across the United States. And then finally landed here in Seattle in 1995, kind of in an in-between stage of life and decided to start an internet company with a group of other folks. And as a result of that, had some success. Successes, some spectacular failures, made some good money, became an angel investor, and kind of did a rinse and repeat on funding and founding of projects and companies for quite some time, which is ultimately how I landed at the WTIA eight years ago. I had sold my last company to Rosetta Stone and took some time off to ride a motorcycle around the Pacific Northwest to see what it was all about firsthand, up close and personal. And during that time frame, uh, got to know some folks at the WTIA who recruited me to do this job.
0: Well, that's fantastic. And, you know, I think maybe at some other point, I'm going to have to ask you about the insights of the Middle East and all the other things that you've done. And I just recently learned that you're a Zen master, too. And that yeah. is oh, a conversation for another time, too. I'm a new meditator. And yeah. I was just fascinating. Uh, it was fascinating learning about that, about you. Yeah,
1: I'm a I'm a Dharma teacher. I'm not a Zen master. I've never never lived in a monastery, but I do. I do teach Zen
0: that's that's amazing and i can only imagine how helpful that is in in what you do you know people don't necessarily know about the washington technology industry association will you explain a little bit about it to people yeah.
1: Yeah, so we started out really the job that I got eight years ago was to figure out what does a trade association look like in the 21st century. And so we conducted a series of experiments, I applied a lot of the same discipline and philosophy that I've been using as an angel investor and as an entrepreneur for the last 20 years, and I put it into play here. And we've created a great team to conduct a series of experiments to answer the question, What can you accomplish if you form a coalition of tech companies? What does that look like? And repeating over and over again throughout all these experiments, there's been a thematic that has come clear. And that is, how do we help the technology sector attract and develop and retain the top talent it needs to succeed and grow? And for larger corporations, that has led to an apprenticeship program for smaller corporations. It's often has to do with being able to provide the best level of benefits to be able to compete with larger companies. For entrepreneurs, it means teaching them how to raise money, how to launch their products faster so that they have a better opportunity to succeed. And so it's been a really fun experiment that has led to everything from a blockchain council to a 401k to a healthcare plan to an apprenticeship program. It kind of sounds like a collection of cats and dogs, but they all basically have the same thing in common. How do we help attract, retain, and develop talent for the industry?
0: That's truly amazing. I mean, if I think about myself, I'm a small business, of course, and it sounds like for a technology company, that's the equivalent of a small law firm, you're really providing a lot of benefits and growth. So that's wonderful. Now, how does immigration play into this? You obviously had already mentioned you're a first generation immigrant, but you're clearly seeing it firsthand with the entrepreneurs and the, and the industry in general. Can you explain a little bit about that?
1: Yes, it's quite personal for me because my father came to the United States to start a company. <laughs> like he was, I'm, I'm cut from the cloth, so to speak, of entrepreneurial cloth. It's quite personal for me, but it's relevant to the industry because depending on exactly how you slice the data. More than two thirds of all of the tech companies in the United States funded by venture capital have been founded by immigrants. So immigrants are the source of pushing 70% of the jobs created by the tech industry. And so this this massive economic development windfall of tech industry in the United States has largely been fueled by immigrant talent coming here to build their dreams and their companies which has led to great jobs, it's led to great revenues, it's led to great tax revenues for states and cities. It's produced an enormous amount of economic benefit for the United States as a whole. So to me, anything that can foster more of that energy to help entrepreneurs build and run their companies in the United States, it doesn't just benefit the current people who live in the United States, it benefits generations to come.
0: Wow. I'm going to have to quote you on that. That's truly important for people to know, because you're seeing it from the people who are actually doing the work. And I help them from an immigration standpoint. And I see the barriers that they face every single day. And I see the benefit that they bring. But the narrative that we have going on at the moment is far from it. But the data, you've already mentioned the word data, it really shows the benefit that immigrants are bringing to the United States. And it goes back generations. I mean, you just yeah. spoke about your dad. What I see in my day to day is that the people who are coming here, trying to open businesses, particularly when they are venture backed and backed by people like yourself, angel investors, they don't often have a pathway to come here and be here. And so the solution has definitely been a, an advocacy of having a startup visa. What Do you think we need a startup visa and why do you think we should have it?
1: Yeah, I think there's a problem in the public discourse. That has led to fear and anxiety about immigration. The discourse is that immigrants come to the United States and they take jobs away from Americans. And so if, if, if an immigrant is coming here as an entrepreneur, I mean, that is already false on the face of it. Like they're coming here to build a company. They aren't taking away jobs. They're actually creating jobs. But even the companies who hire immigrants through, for example, an H-1B visa, there's just so much misinformation about that as if there were so many immigrants coming to the United States as engineers and scientists that are taking jobs away from American engineers and American scientists. It's just factually not correct. There has been abuse of some visas, and I'm your deep subject matter on expert on this. There have been staffing firms that have abused the H-1B visa, but the tech companies themselves and the tech sector as a whole They use H-1B visas to find and retract the very best talent in the world to come here. And in that case, not launch companies so much as launch products and services that build, again, more jobs for people who are living here. So whether it's an entrepreneur visa or an H-1B visa, the vast amount of the data shows that that's actually the economic engine that builds the tech industry, whether it's launching a company or launching a product. So do we need an entrepreneur visa? Oh my God, yes. Because if we don't, Canada will. (laughs) And, you know, Canada (laughs) has. And, you know, honestly, it's not that far away from the United States. And we're just cutting our nose to spite our face by shutting off entrepreneurs and top tech talent from coming to the United States.
0: We'll be right back. Did you know a business plan is an essential component to U.S. immigration applications for new companies? And a strong professional business plan can significantly increase your chance of approval? Journey Business Plans is the leading immigration business plan writing company in the U.S. and Canada, producing professional business plans for all types of applications, including E-2s, L-1s, EB-2 national interest waivers, EB-5s, and especially the newly restored US Entrepreneur program find out why over 900 immigration attorneys and their clients trust journey visit them today at juni.com that's www.j mention this podcast to receive a 10% discount I totally agree. And to touch on the Canada subject matter, you know, in 2010, we had our first bill. And of course, you know, Congress stalled on the bill, which it continues to do. And Canada saw a good thing. They took our bill and they implemented it. And they have entrepreneurs flocking to Canada every day, particularly when the entrepreneur parole that we'll talk about in just a moment you know, failed It didn't fail. You know, the previous administration essentially took it away from us. And that had a given a, a boon to Canada. The entrepreneur parole was a, an administrative effort for President Obama to really find a way to bring and keep the entrepreneurs here. And at the time, you know, you and I, and I'm so grateful for this, you and I worked very hard on actually commenting on what would make a good parole or a program and we did submit it and we know that some of those suggestions were taken into account. Now we have just recently seen that restored just last week actually and how do you think that your members will benefit and how do you think the country will benefit from it while we still advocate for a startup visa?
1: Oh, it's going to be an enormous benefit to the country because I'm based in Washington. It's really going to benefit the state. For the last three years, we have constructed an accelerator program to help Korean entrepreneurs. The Korean government is very forward-thinking when it comes to entrepreneurship. And so we've partnered with them to help Korean entrepreneurs to come to the United States to learn how to launch their companies either successfully here or successfully in Korea. Now, the vast majority of those folks can't launch their company in the United States because there's no visa mechanism for them to come here. So they learn how to launch a company in the United States and then they go, Back to Seoul to go try to launch their company there and then serve the United States from there, which is not really what they want to do. If we had an entrepreneur visa, not only would the Korean entrepreneurs that we're working with be able to come here, learn how to raise money, learn how to launch their companies here, and then stay here, but If Korea can do that, Japan can do that, China can do that, Singapore can do that, there's so many other countries that we have been in talks with over the last three years that have an enormous amount of interest in this, if only there was a pathway.
0: What a concrete example I actually wasn't aware of your Korean partnership that's a direct benefit that would be immediately visible. Mm. And, you know, we live in Washington state and like many parts of the country, we have many economic issues. Mm. We have a homeless crisis, we have eviction moratorium going on, we need jobs and Mm. we need jobs to be created. It, it, you know, now we can't be waiting for the jobs to sort of come along as the stimulus check runs out. And these people will be bringing jobs. And one of the things you mentioned about the H-1B, about the product launch and what have you, these people create jobs. And one of the things that people don't realize is the job is not about what's right in front of you. It's the impact of those people being here. They need a laundry mat. They need a grocery store. They need a CPA. They need a doctor. The the jobs that get created by each individual being here is just a multiplication of revenue growth that is not visible unless you look at the data. So you've mentioned data many times and you mentioned jobs and that's what we need right this moment. So I'm great this program has come about and as you see people come along, I would love to be able to help you with that. But I think, what would be great is if you could come back to the show once you've seen some of those people, because sure. I think that's what's important. We need to be able to demonstrate what's happening and why this is good for the country. Just because we have this program, do you think we need to sort of lay low and not talk about the startup visa? What is your opinion on that?
1: Oh, no, 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 no. I, I think we should promote this aggressively. We have a window of opportunity to use this program, this bridge to an entrepreneur visa, which really Congress should pass, right? So you helped build a bridge. So we've got a bridge. Let's use the bridge as quickly as possible, because again, it's gonna take years for these entrepreneurs to be successful and build their companies and create these jobs we're talking about. And by the way, I do have some data that I think you'll find quite interesting. We studied this a little while back to see what is the impact of folks that are coming in on an H-1B visa And for every one of those jobs, they create seven other jobs. That's how big the economic multiplier is. Because it's interesting, it's not just about their discretionary income. These are very highly paid folks. The average wage ballpark numbers is about $150,000 a year for the average wage of a tech employee. The average way of an H-1B visa tech employee is about $25,000 higher. So that's the average wage. So these people are really highly paid, $175,000 average. And of course, it goes much higher for PhD level folks. Not only are is their discretionary income leading to house purchases and car purchases, and then as you pointed, CPA, and they're sending their kids to school and dance classes. Like There's a lots of external multipliers. Their job Jobs in their companies produce two to three other jobs inside their companies because they're part of the product development program. So they create marketing jobs, they create accounting jobs, they create customer service jobs, they create sales jobs that surround that creativity that they're bringing to a company that is hiring an H-1B visa. It's a really extraordinary positive multiplier for job creation and therefore economic development.
0: So on that note, one of the things that is very important to me is getting that message across to people in this country, particularly over the last four years. As you mentioned, the discourse has been negative, but the, the positive impact is sort of really not highlighted or paid attention to. But what you say is actually very profound and people simply don't understand that. How do we as a collective start to change that narrative, do you think?
1: Well, we're kind of swimming upstream. There's two reasons for that. One, it is politically expedient for some legislators to scare their constituents and talk about immigration as being negative. And it's just useful for them for fundraising. It's useful for them for getting votes because they're using fear as a tactic. And so there's no truth behind it, but that doesn't stop people running for office from saying these things in public. And the other place where we're swimming upstream is that. There is a there is a strong anti-immigration sentiment in most of the unions in the United States and unions in the United States, labor unions in the United States are significantly skilled and and well placed for fundraising political campaigns. And so much of our political dialogue in the United States is being fed by. Uh, folks who have an anti immigration position, even though it's not based in fact, even though there's no logical basis to any of it, is a really compelling emotional argument for fundraising and for political campaigns. We're up against a bit of a machine on this. And I honestly think the only answer to that is we just got to keep telling the story again and again make it palpable with specific experiences and specific examples of entrepreneurs who have come and how many jobs they've created and show what the economic impact is. And just if we keep doing that over and over again, hopefully over time, enough people will have seen and heard those stories that they begin to believe the facts for what they are.
0: Do you know, I can give you concrete examples. I mean, if people actually pay attention They'll know that many of the first, second generation immigrants have put America on the map already. You know, people don't appreciate that Nordstrom where you go and do your luxury shopping. Mm -hmm. You know, he was an immigrant. You know, the Bose, the headset, he was an Indian immigrant. Levi's jeans, immigrant. Walt Disney, second generation immigrant. The facts are there we need to remind people as well as show them the new things that are happening. So I totally agree and I hope that you and I could actually talk about this a little bit more and bring your data and just put it onto the show and and show people that this is what's happening because we are in an economic crisis at the moment. And the only way we can pull ourselves out of this is to be creative and understand that immigration is a tool you know, it's not, it's not anything else. It should be a tool. So
1: It's actually an essential for economic growth, not just because of what we've been talking about so far, Tamina, but th- recently, just in the last six months or so, there've been statistics coming out that are becoming quite a dialogue among most of the media outlets that the United States birth rate is slowing down. And when you look at the industrialized countries in the world, all of our birth rates are slowing down. If we want to continue to have economic growth into the coming decades, with a slowing national birth rate, the only way to continue to grow as a country is through immigration who better to bring if you're going to have an immigration policy who better to bring than the people who are going to be creating jobs 100%. 100%.
0: 100%, right? 100%. And in fact, you know, we're recording this on May 25th, 2021. In fact, just yesterday or the day before the New York Times had a splashed article about why the world needs more Americans and we need exactly what you just said. Absolutely. So you're totally right. And so what can, you know, you and I have had a dialogue for a long time. You and I have been on panels and all sorts of things, but, you know, we need a movement and we need the community to to be part of it so if we're asking our mem your your members and listeners and the community to really step up and have their voices heard what can they do to do that
1: so i think if you're listening to the show and you're still listening into this podcast, you at least find this topic interesting enough to pay attention. The call to action to everyone that's listening to the show is to advocate for immigration to your legislators. And you don't have to like just talk to a senator. Any representative will do. Any senator will do. It can be yours. It can be your friends. It could be your family members. You send them an email. You don't even have to get on the phone anymore, although if you can get on the phone with them, they are they're very in influenced by the voice of someone who cares and pays attention. Get the word out. Your legislators need to hear that you care, that this is important, that you understand that this is important, because that is the only way to really shift the political dialogue is to speak directly to the legislators themselves. I think there's opportunities to be supportive. And I think you could probably point your listeners to places where they can support immigrants. As you said, even the folks that get here successfully on a visa, It is hard. It is really challenging to succeed in the United States as an immigrant. And so the more we surround our immigrant population with support and uh, services, the better the chances that they're going to succeed here and therefore generate the economic growth that we're all the beneficiaries of. So those are those are a couple of things that I can think of off the top of my head.
0: Thank you. No, those are are great suggestions. We're running out of time, Michael, but people will surely want to follow you and learn more about you or maybe even help. How can they get in touch with you?
1: Sure. I'm on Twitter. I'm on social media in general. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Instagram. If you just type in my last name, you're pretty likely to find me there. My last name is spelled S-C-H-U-T-Z-L-E-R. And then uh, the other call to action is we have a fabulous membership. And if you are a technology company leader and you want your organization to be a, be a part of ours, it's actually free to join. We have gotten rid of the barrier to entry. We want every tech company who cares about this to please join us. And if you want to join us, you just go to our website, watech.org, W-A-T-E-C-H.org, and click the join button and welcome aboard.
0: That's fantastic. And do they need to be in Washington state or could they be anywhere?
1: We don't, we don't care. I'm not sure what a geography is anymore. The pandemic has erased all geographies. I think everyone's remote employee probably forever.
0: (laughs) Yeah, probably. It's uh, obviously a daily discussion in every industry. Michael, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be here, to really share some invaluable insights and actually for doing all the work you've done over the last decade that I've known you on this particular issue. And I hope we can get to the finish line. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Great to see you. You too. Tamina Talks is brought to you by Watson Immigration Law. Founded in 2009, Watson Immigration Law is one of Seattle's premier immigration firms specializing in business and investment visas, but offering a wide range of immigration services. If you need assistance with your immigration needs, Watson Immigration Law is ready to help. Just call 206-292-5237 to schedule an appointment. Mention this podcast to receive a 10% discount off your initial consultation fee.
0: This episode was sponsored by Journey Business Plans and produced by Cambria Judd Babbitt. We would so appreciate it if you could please rate and review this podcast so others can find us. Thank you so much for listening.